You might remember that a couple of weeks ago, in a very brief, short little lesson that I gave, I said that I had a question, or somebody asked me a question regarding these passages. And here we go. And I kind of touched on the first passage, the first verse, but, I said, but these passages really need to be taught together. So if it comes on, I'm going to read the text from the screen in just a minute. If not, I'm going to have to go to my Bible. In Matthew chapter 9, we want to begin there. Jesus spoke these words in response to a question given in the previous verse. In Matthew chapter 9, I want to begin reading there in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Looking at these passages together, I've entitled our remarks today, The Bridegroom, Unshrunk Cloth, and New Wineskins. But what was Jesus talking about when he gave these three little parables? Well, they were in response to a question that was asked in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? You know, in this passage, we find that there's a connection between the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist said about the Pharisees? He said, you're a bunch of snakes. But they were joined in the aspect of ritual fasting. They fasted as the Pharisees did in a ritualistic manner. In other words, they fasted because it was time to fast and not because there was a reason for fasting. You might remember that Pharisee that came to the temple to pray with that publican and he said, I fast twice in a week. What was he talking about? He was talking about the fasting often, the ritualistic fasting. In other words, it's Tuesday, it's the day of fast, I will fast. And that's what he was talking about. With the Lord's response to the first question in verse 15, he says this. Jesus, first of all, is teaching not a new doctrine of fasting, but a new approach. Please get that. Jesus was not teaching a new doctrine of fasting. He was teaching a new approach. And he begins with his first answer in his first illustration found in verse 15. Jesus said this. And, the, and Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That's the first thing that he says. You know, this is really brilliant. Jesus is the bridegroom. The friends of the bridegroom are the bridal, uh, bridal party. And what the Lord was saying is this. He was referring back to something that they would have understood. A Jewish wedding took seven days. And during that period of time, the bridegroom was with the friends of the bridegroom, the bridal party, and they were together. And when that happened and when the, the time had been that they were together, it wasn't a time of mourning. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of happiness. It was not a time of sorrow. 
Jesus said this, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn if the bridegroom is currently with them? Jesus being the bridegroom. I think what Jesus is saying here, it's inappropriate for his disciples to fast while he is with them. Now I'm going to tell you, when the Lord was on the face of this earth and he was, went through his personal ministry, about three years, the disciples of Jesus had Jesus with them. But do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that one day I'm going to go. And they didn't want him to go. But Jesus said, it's expedient that I go. I got to go. They didn't want the Lord to leave them. They had existed during that three-year period of time with Jesus in their midst, in their presence, right with them. Wonderful time. A time of rejoicing. But there would be a time when Jesus would be taken away. So what he's saying is this. The lesson he's teaching is this. As long as I, the bridegroom, are with my disciples, it's inappropriate for them to fast. That's what he said. But he says this. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. You know, I think what Jesus is prophetically stating here is very simple. I think what Jesus is prophetically stating here is this. That in the church age, when I am now taken away, and the church is established in Acts chapter 2, it's going to bring great persecution and opposition to my disciples. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be a time for them to fast. It'll be a time for them to do that and to pray because of the persecutions that would come their way. With the spread of the gospel brought great persecution and a longing for his return. You know, I thought about this this morning. Early in my office, I, I got to thinking about praying for the Lord's return. And you know, we don't pray about that in public all that much or that often. Sometimes when a person gets older, they start praying for the Lord's return. Like Phil Kelly, you've heard me say this many times, used to say, wouldn't it be great if the Lord came back right now? Okay, And that's what people do, especially when they start getting older. But praying for the Lord's return really is something that we should want. And put an end to all the things that have happened in life that are very difficult. In fact, I got to thinking this. The only reason that we should want the Lord to delay, there's only one. Well, actually two. Lost souls will be saved and those that have left the Lord will come back and have time to do it. That's the only reason we should not want the Lord to come back. That's it. Jesus said, there's going to come a time when they're going to, I'm going to be taken away and they're going to long for my return. And by the way, that exists even today with the people of God in the Lord's church. So to sum up, notice this. It's going to be appropriate in time. What Jesus was saying is, don't just fast for a ritual. Fast for a reason. That's what he was saying. You know, the Bible talks about the time in Matthew 17, remember that? And you remember when Jesus had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus cast the demon out of that boy, remember that? I'll fast forward through the story really quickly. Remember what they said? When Jesus did it and the disciples could not, the disciples said to Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast out the demon? Jesus said two things. Because of number one, your unbelief, which means little faith. And number two, because this kind does not go out except how? Prayer and fasting. In other words, there's going to be a time when fasting is appropriate 
And it's, to, it's connected together with prayer. But for now, enjoy his presence. And that brings us to illustration number two, and it's found in verse 16. And the Bible says there, Jesus says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Now Jesus here is showing the inappropriateness of mixing the old formalism with new spontaneity. In other words, that's forcing his system into John's system. All right, what's the old garment? What's he talking about? He's saying this. Here's the old garment. Lesky said this. He said the old robe of Judaism of that period, namely what the scribes and the Pharisees had made of it with their doctrine and their practice, all the old formalism, the outward observance, and false righteousness. That's what he was talking about. And Jesus said this, you don't take a piece of unshrunk cloth and put it on an old garment. Now, first of all, they understood what he meant in the verse prior because it was a brilliant uh, thing that they all understood. But what does unshrunk mean here? He gives a different illustration here. Unshrunk means new. It refers to undressed or unfold material. Now, Clothing in the Lord's day was made of cloth or wool or linen. And in that time, it, was, uh, it would shrink, obviously, right? You, you, have, you have cotton. If you had cotton today, 100% cotton, you throw it in the washing machine and dry it, it's going to shrink. So the old garment that he's picturing here is the garment of the day that was made of wool or linen. And everybody understood when you take that garment and you wash it, it's going to shrink. So the Lord brilliantly says this. If the old garment has a rip or a tear in it, you're not going to take a new piece of cloth and make a patch out of the new piece of cloth and sew it on there because you know what's going to happen? When it's finally washed again, the new cloth would then shrink and it's going to pull away from the fabric and the, it's going to be uh, torn even worse. So... It's obvious, and they would have understood that. I'm going to get to the application of that in a minute, though. You know, um, also I read in ancient days, uh, cloth or uh, garments, uh, things that made garments were very expensive. And I got to thinking about this, too. You know, to me, cloth is cloth. Fabric is fabric. And I never think about how expensive the fabric itself is. And the reason for that is usually what constitutes the expense is the name brand given to it. Okay? Back in the 80s, you know what it was? Those of us that are around 50, you remember this or so. Remember Ocean Pacific? Remember the shirts OP? Man, that was the greatest shirt in the world. And it cost about at least double what every other shirt cost. But I'm going to tell you right now, man, if you went to school, I remember I was in eighth grade. You go to school with OP on the on the pocket of the shirt man that was great stuff the sanders family lived in our hometown they had five boys and i remember the, the the mom said you know what i can't afford to buy all my five boys op shirts so she sewed op probably illegally op on all the shirts you know why because the garment with the name brand makes it expensive i said all that to say this the garment or the cloth back in those days was expensive itself. 
So it's a brilliant idea that the Lord is saying. He's saying, you understand this. You wouldn't waste an old garment by taking a new piece of cloth and sewing the new piece of cloth on the garment. And when it shrinks, the whole thing is ruined. You wouldn't do that. Now, it'd be unwise to do that. Luke adds this, though. Luke said this. He adds in Luke chapter 5 and verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. This is about Jesus. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, this is what Luke adds. The piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Very important. It would be unsightly. It doesn't match. Robertson, Robertson said this. The patch thus does more harm than good. Kaufman said this. Here's the application, by the way. Here's the application. The application is that Jesus did not come to apply Christianity. Please get this. Here's the application. As a new patch upon the old garment of Judaism. Christianity was not designed as an addition to Judaism, not as a patch upon an old system, but as an excitingly new and different religion altogether. And that's what he was saying. And he said it this way. You don't put a new patch. You don't take a new patch and put it on an old garment. Now, so far... That's kind of easy to understand. I think we can all understand that. We understand the bridegroom, understand the bridal party. They're not going to mourn with the, with the bridegroom still with them. We get that. Jesus is the bridegroom. Disciples are the bridal party or the friends of the bridegroom. We get that. We also understand about the unshrunk cloth or the new cloth that's placed on an old garment. We get that too. But now we come to the next one. And I'm going to tell you, you can read all manner of ideas regarding the next illustration that he gives. And we'll spend the rest of our time on this illustration. What was he talking about? Then he says, as a third illustration, nor do they put new wine in old wine skins, or else the wine skins break, the wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus now switches from garments to wineskins. In fact, you know the King James calls it bottles. I'm so glad the new King James calls it wineskins because actually the direct rendering is this, skin bottles. You could trace that all the way back to the book of Genesis. They had goat skins, and they would take goat skins, and those goat skins, they would make a wine skin out of it. They'd make a bottle out of it, and it was used in the Near East to carry water or grape juice. Now, old wine skins, important what these represent to understand the application. First of all, the description literally of an old wine skin were worn out and brittle uh, with age and already stretched to capacity. They were already stretched. Okay? New wine refers to unfermented grape juice. Keep that in your mind, please. Old wine skins had been stretched to capacity. They were brittle. They were old. 
New wine is unfermented grape juice. Okay? Now, let me tell you what many commentators would say. This is what they say. They say this. You see, what the Lord was talking about is, if you put new wine in an old wine skin, and the new wine over time ferments, which everybody expects it to do, then what's going to happen is during the fermentation process, it expands. And when that happens, the old wine skin that was brittle and cracked and stretched to capacity, is going to bust open and all the liquid's going to come out. And what's going to happen? The wine skin itself is ruined and the wine itself or the grape juice that's inside is also ruined because it's going to happen when fermentation kicks in. I heard that my whole life. Not so fast. Let's notice what the Lord said. But they put new wine. Get this, please. They put new wine in new wineskins, and both are preserved. The indication here does not appear at all to be that Jesus is talking about fermentation. He's saying this, you take the new wine, which is the unfermented grape juice, and you put it in a new wine skin to preserve it. That's what the Lord said. He said both are preserved. Okay? Now, the other way, grape juice in old wine skins, not a good idea. But if you want to preserve it, notice what he says, you put it in a new wine skin. In fact, it actually keeps it from fermenting. Now, I read this too. If you took a wine skin, okay, and you put grape juice in it, and you seal it up, okay, you seal it up. If, in fact, the new wine or the grape juice could ferment and expand, it would bust it wide open whether or not the wine skin was new or old. It wouldn't matter. If that was the Lord's point, if it could ferment, because here's the idea, what people so often say, this is for the fermentation process. We want to put it in a wineskin so it ferments. Not so, said Jesus. You put it in a new wineskin to preserve it. Okay? Now, further, this is why. When I said the idea of if you put it in a wineskin and seal it up and if it could ferment. A cubic inch of sugar transformed in a carbonic gas takes up about 40 times more room. If that is the case and you seal up a new wineskin, it doesn't matter if it's new or not. Watch, a cubic inch of sugar transformed in a carbonic gas, look what's going to happen. It's going to take up 40 times more room. It'll blow that thing wide open. So obviously the Lord is not talking about fermentation. He is talking about preservation. He is talking about preserving that which is the new wine. Now, interestingly, both are preserved. I also read this, though. I thought this was interesting. That there's evidence that at the time that a skin is made ready by the tanning process, you know, they had the tanners, so, so, such and such, the tanner. When they tanned the hide, the goat skin, I actually read that by the time the goat skin was ready to be a wine skin, through the tanning process, it actually had antiseptic qualities. So it aided in the preservation of whatever was put inside. 
Interesting. Listen to this. William Patton on Bible Wines wrote this. There are several ways in which new wine or non-alcoholic grape juice is preserved for many months. He also said that the ancients viewed the pure blood of the grape as being superior in quality and taste to fermented beverages. Look at the point here. He's not talking about putting it in a position so it can ferment so you can have alcoholic beverages because that's what everybody wanted. No, not so at all. What he was saying is the ancients actually viewed pure grape juice superior in taste and quality than fermented beverages. What's Jesus saying? Put that new wine in a new wineskin so it's preserved to keep it from fermentation. Now, Jesus is simply saying this. If anyone wants to preserve grape juice, he places it in a suitable container rather than taking a chance of it being spilled by putting it into worn out skins. So what's the application to this? Here's the application. And by the way, if you look at a passage of scripture, even historically, and you don't give it an application, it's really meaningless. Jesus really wasn't talking about wine and wine skins. He really wasn't talking about fabrics and rips and tears. And he really wasn't talking about weddings, was he? There's a spiritual application to all of it. Here's the third spiritual application. Here it is. One should not take Jesus's program and force it into the old skin of Judaism. That's what he was talking about. Kaufman added this. This is very interesting. Kaufman said this. The application was that Jesus Christ did not pour the new wine of his teaching into old wineskins, John's disciples, but into new wineskins, his disciples. It is noteworthy then that none of Jesus' disciples had previously been followers of John. And the reason is explained in this passage. It took new hearts, unaccustomed to the practices and prejudices of old ways to contain the marvelous new teachings of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Interesting. The old formalism of Judaism and putting the new teachings of Christ into that. Please understand, we need to make this point again. When Jesus came to this earth to preach and he said the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is, is nigh, the kingdom is so close that you can almost taste it and smell it and feel it and all that with your senses. He wasn't talking about an extension of Judaism. That is the old wineskin. He wasn't talking about the, an extension of the old. So the patch that he talked about, Christianity or the teachings of Christ, is not a patch on Judaism. We understand what Judaism actually was. It was a schoolmaster or a tutor to bring man back to God. And you know, when you think about it this way, when you think about the old law, if you look at the idea of what it was to be a schoolmaster or a tutor, historically speaking, the schoolmaster or the tutor never did the teaching. The only thing that the schoolmaster did is they picked up the student, the pupil, and brought the student to the master teacher. The practical application of that is this. The old law of Judaism was a schoolmaster or the teacher. They didn't do the, te or the, or the tutor. They didn't do the teaching. They brought the student, the disciple, to Jesus Christ, the master teacher. 
One was not a patch of the other. So, going all the way back to verse 14, they asked Jesus a question. Why weren't they fasting? And by the way, you remember in Mark's account, I think Mark's account it is, Mark's account says that on that particular day, it was one of those days where the Jews ritualistically fasted. So picture it this way. You have Jesus and his disciples being very conspicuous, sticking out like a sore thumb. They're feasting while others are fasting. So naturally came the question, why weren't they fasting? Jesus answered with three illustrations. The first illustration is in verse 14, 15 about the wedding, about the bridegroom. What's the application? The application is this. It's not appropriate for the disciples to fast while I'm still with them. He answers at number two. Second illustration, verse 16, about the new garment or the new patch over an old garment. What's the application there? You don't force the new teachings of Christ on the old garment of Judaism. And number three, number three, he talked about new wine and old wineskins. What's the application? Verse 17. You don't put the new wine of the Lord's teaching into the old skin of Judaism either. All of that brought Jesus Christ to the cross where he would fulfill everything. He'd be nailed to the cross. He would die for the sins of the world. And when he would die for the sins of the world, he was buried in that tomb. He rose from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he ascended to heaven. And you know what? Now we're in the period of time where the new teachings of the New Testament are being taught. And we take that story of the New Testament, we take the story of the new teachings of Christ to the world, and it's done by the means of the church. I hope that these are an explanation that perhaps is understandable regarding these three verses. I know these three verses are oftentimes, what in the world is he talking about? It looks like these three verses are just planted in the middle of the chapter. But remember this. Here they are, and then I'm finished. Once again, it's not appropriate for the disciples to fast while I'm still with them. You don't force the new teaching of Christ on the old garment of Judaism, and you don't put the new wine of the Lord's teaching into the old skin of Judaism either. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.